Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. Welcome to Kesset. My name's Danny. I am one of the pastors here and I'm honored. Uh, there's so many great churches in town, so thank you for uh, choosing to come and hang with us today. Uh, If you're new, you're going to see just a moment. I'll tell you about the series that we're in called GASP. It's all built around this idea that inspiration is important in your life. Uh, Before I talk about that, I want to share with you a little bit about what you saw in the the video there. Next week, Pastor Tom's going to be with us. We're going to take a chunk of the service and talk all about the building. So uh, I hope that most of your questions get answered, and I hope that you uh, try to set aside some time to be a part because we are receiving a lot of questions and uh, he has a lot of answers to give. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's going to be good, all good stuff, and uh, we're really excited about what God is doing with us and, and what this upcoming year looks like. So this series, uh, I introduced last week that uh, this series is going to kind of work in a process. Uh, we talked about last week how we have to start with this life-changing awareness of God, that inspiration brings a life-changing awareness of God. And I wanted to, uh, to continue in the series. And so through that, what's next is discipleship. But I felt like uh, somebody with a, maybe a little more, uh, what shall I say, experience uh, could talk about this topic. And I had a gentleman in our church who has been pastoring for a long time and wasn't doing anything. And I, I got, I, I had to have a hard talk with him, right? And I said, listen, you, you need to be uh, a part of this stage team a little more often. And so Kelly Backstrom agreed through much shame and manipulation <laughs> to come and share with us today. And so uh, he's going to come up and walk us through kind of what this looks like. And I, I really was encouraged by his, uh, his words last service, and I, and I think you will be too. Uh, I want to share one other thing before I pray, because I'm going to pray for Kelly. But I'm also going to pray for um, our pastor, Chris Potter, and his wife, Rebecca. Uh, some of you know that they are expecting And uh, around the office, their baby has become known because of me as Rude Baby because it's way past due, way, way past due. Uh, We all expected it like 10 days ago, and he's he's just rebellious in spirit, and so he just has decided he's not coming. So I watched Chris walk in, and every person that he shook hands with was like, you're still here? You're still here? So I said, we need to address this. This baby needs to come out tomorrow. And so... Uh, they have an appointment to, to go in, and, uh, and it looks like he's going to be coming this week, and so we're really excited about that. And so, uh, yeah, Chris is back there in the back. So uh, let's pray for Kelly and Chris and his rude baby. That's what we're going to pray for right now. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for Chris and Rebecca, their story. Thank you that, uh, that God, you're bringing this new life into our community we pray just uh, that your hands would be all over it, that the process would go smooth, and that, uh, Lord, there would just be a, a great, great peace and presence as, uh, as this new little man enters into the world. We are so grateful. We are so thankful. Thank you for Kelly, God, as he, uh, as he steps out, as, as he could have just came to church and sat in the audience, but, but through your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, you prompted him with things to share, and I'm, I'm just so grateful to have a, another voice to share from, from even a different perspective. And so we're blessed to sit and to learn from him. We thank you. We spend this time with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please give a warm welcome to my friend, Kelly Backstrom. <clears throat> thank you very much. 
I guess the lesson is, uh, when my wife and I first started coming here, we're like, this is a cool place. Let's just chill out and sit on the back row, and nobody knows us. We don't know them. It's all cool. And then she's like, I want to sit up front. And, and that's what happens when you sit up front. So <laughs> be careful. You know, you'll be teaching next week. So uh, <clears throat> it's a privilege to be here and be able to speak this morning. And I'm excited about this series and this whole idea of, of inspiration and, and what, where it comes from and then what we do with it. And, um, and so uh, th- last week, uh, we, we were talking about what, how the series is, is unfolding, and, and we were talking about, hey, Kelly, you get to talk about discipleship. I'm like, yay. Um, <laughs> not, not because I, I, I believe in it, but it's, it's, it's um, how to take from this, this moment. Last week, many of you stood at the end of the service and shared that that God is doing something in you. This life-changing awareness of God was real to you, and he was drawing you to something. And then I'm like, okay, now just don't mess it up, Kelly. Move them forward, you know? And uh, the, uh, the key to this series, I think, is the realization that, that inspiration is not just a moment in time. It's not just that moment where you made the connection to what God was calling or that he is calling you to something, but it's a series of steps you take and complete in this process. It's a process of God working in us. And so I think I, if, if I can say anything, and if you just tune out the rest of the sermon, um, that's cool. Um, but it's a process. It's not a one-time thing that we do. Um, I said I, I don't want to mess this up. I think this week I had the, uh, um, a, maybe it's a parent failure, you know, the, a fail. It, my daughter just turned three. Olive just turned three this last weekend. And, and so uh, she likes to do like role plays, like, okay, um, sometimes we're going to go to Costco. So she drives, we sit on the floor, and she drives, we buckle up, click, 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 and she pretends like she's driving, we go through the whole process, we go shopping through the whole house, the receipt, you know, the little heart on the receipt, all that. And, and so it's fun. Well, <clears throat> yesterday she said, we're going to church. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we got down, sat down, and we got to church, and she's like, okay, you're the teacher, daddy. I'm like, oh, okay, so good, I'm teaching this week, I can get some practice. So I stood up in front of my wife and my daughter, and I was teaching them about Jesus. And, and my wife asked me, she says, uh, in, in front of all of course, she's like, where is Jesus? I'm like, well, Jesus is in heaven. And, and Olive's like, well, let's go to heaven. I'm like, whoa, slow down, <laughs> not so fast, you know. And, and so she's like, no, sit down, daddy. And we sat down, and she buckled up, click, 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 and she drove to heaven, I guess. And, and, and she, in her mind, we got there, and she's like, okay, Daddy, you're Jesus. I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's a big, big step here. And so I tried to be a good Jesus, and, and uh, I thought that was all fun and cool, but then the rest of the day, she kept calling me Jesus. That's, that's the parent failure thing, so um, <laughs> um, that'll be my new nickname. No, I doubt it. Uh, I think we're safe. This last week, I think that uh, Danny set the table, actually, the last couple of weeks, set the table for this idea of inspiration. And, uh, and, and the key to understanding this process, when he talked about this life-changing awareness of God. And, uh, and, and as I said, many of you stood and to signify that this is something God's doing in me. And, and maybe you didn't stand, but you know God's doing something anyways, right? Or you weren't here, but you know that God is. And I, I want to back up before I go forward, because I think that... Um, I think we have to always be aware of this life-changing um, moments of God in our life. And uh, all throughout the Bible, you go all the way back to uh, the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, I want to share, uh, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And he has been told by God that he's not going with them, that he doesn't get to go. And so it's kind of one of his last moments where he speaks to them. 
And he says these words. He says, if from there, the promised land, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and your soul. He says, in your distress. Now, I think he's speaking as one with experience because if you're not in distress, you're about to be. (laughs) And he's like, in your coming distresses, when all these things happen to you in days to come, you will return to the Lord your God and you will hear his voice. For God is compassionate. The Lord God won't fail you. I think we have to constantly be open to God speaking to us. As we seek him, he, he, he makes that life-changing awareness a reality. Um, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. Um, Isaiah, God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Um, in Psalms 119, verse 2, David says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Um, and in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, Keep asking, it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened for you, because everyone who keeps asking will receive, and the person who keeps searching will find, and the person who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. If God has not revealed to you his life-changing awareness of what he has for you, then keep seeking. If you're already starting to receive it, keep looking. You will find he's going to show that to you. That inspiration at the start, it's not an end. If, If you stood and you said, hey, I know God's doing something, that moment doesn't mean that everything just changed and you have nothing else to do. That's an awareness that God's calling you to something. And discipleship is that necessary second step to learning. And, and the whole idea of discipleship is becoming a learner, to, to understand, learn uh, of the one you're following. And so hopefully as a Christian, the word Christian means little, uh, uh, little Christ or Christ follower. As we're following Christ, we are his disciples. We're learning from him. And so it's that passion and that commitment to learning. Now, when I talk about discipleship, if you've been in church much, you've um, heard the word discipleship, and there's so many different perspectives of it. Um, a lot of times, uh, discipleship is like a stairway. Uh, growing up in church that I did, they would, you know, have the stairs. And, and, and the problem with that, I think when we look at discipleship as a stairway, it's like if you learn these 10 steps and you get to the top, you're done, right? And you can look at everybody else down below and tell them how to do it right, right? Well, the problem is that's just not the way it works. In, in real, reality, uh, it's, it's, it's a process and it's a continual process. Um, my, my wife, Samantha, didn't grow up in the church, and she didn't start going to church until she was in her mid-30s. And, um, and as she did, she started growing and learning and, and really absorbing what God was teaching her. And she didn't have these steps to follow. And one day she met with a mentor, and the mentor said, Hey, Samantha, um, you need to be discipled. You need to, you need to be discipled. She's like, I've never heard that word. What does that mean? And, and he's like, you need to go through the steps. You know, you say the prayer, and then you get baptized, and then you do this, and then you learn Christianese. And uh, he didn't say that, but you know, sometimes we get the idea that it's just these steps. And, and the problem with the step um, perspective is we get the idea that we get to the top, and then we look at others and tell them how to do it. And the problem is you never get to the top in the Christian life. It's a process, it's a cycle, it's that, that circle that Danny showed at the beginning that keeps us growing and learning. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said this in Matthew 7, I think it was a warning that applies to this idea. He said, stop judging 
so you won't be judged because the way you judge others will be the same way that you'll be judged and you'll be evaluated by the standard that you evaluate others. And then he said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, the sliver, if you will, but you fail to notice the beam sticking out of your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that, that speck out of your eye when there's a beam sticking out of your own eye? And then he kind of softly says, you hypocrite. First remove that beam sticking from your face, and then you can see the speck in somebody else's eye. And, and, and that, to me, that's it. Don't get to the idea that I've been discipled. I've been through the steps. That's cool. That's the circle, and then you start over again, okay, and over again, and over again. It's a continual looking, seeking, hearing from God, and then learning, discipling. What does God have for me, and what do I need to learn in this process as we continue to repeat that cycle? Um, so the word discipleship to me basically means a commitment to learning and becoming like the one you're following. As we commit to that process, we learn all the things that God has for us. I want to look at the disciples, the original disciples, and their calling. Because if you take that, that life-changing awareness of God, it was maybe one of the keys was the time that Jesus came and said, come follow me. And this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus mostly on Peter, but I want to look at him as a whole. Because it's interesting, as you look at the original disciples, none of them were religious scholars. They weren't uh, rabbis or rabbis in training. They, they really were just common people who had career-type jobs, maybe family businesses that they were running or doing. And, uh, and, and, and so the whole idea of following Jesus was a big thing. Now understand, they grew up in a Jewish culture, and back then in the Jewish culture, um, most likely all of them, or most of them probably, had come to this place of pursuing the idea as a child of being a rabbi. Because children were taught from the time they're about six to ten years old to pursue the, the, the steps necessary that you might be considered to become a rabbi. Not all of them would be accepted, but you could do the steps. And, and the first step that they would learn from six to ten years old was to memorize the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now to me, that's as far as I can get. I can tell you what they are, right? But no, they memorized the words of those five chapters by the time they were six to ten years old. And as they would learn that, they would memorize that, they would be t uh, not only teach it, they would have to be tested on it and make sure they understood it and could, could quote it and, and, and put it in, 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 uh, in perspective. Well, by the time they were um, about 14 years old, um, they would go the next step, which is to memorize the entire Hebrew Bible, the, the, the whole Old Testament, Okay. We're talking 39 books or about 900 chapters or 23,000 verses. I think of like 600,000 words, right? Roughly. And uh, they were to memorize it completely. And then what they would do is if these kids had got to that level, and I'm sure there's a lot of them would say, oh, I'm out, I can't memorize the Torah or I can't memorize the whole Old Testament. But what they did, they'd present themselves to a rabbi to ask the rabbi to consider mentoring them or discipling them. And if the rabbi thought they were qualified, then he would say, come follow me. So when Jesus goes out, and we'll see in just a minute, and he calls the disciples, and he says, come follow me, those words were very familiar, because that's the words they wanted to hear when they were seeking to be a rabbi. And if the rabbi accepted you and said, okay, I'll mentor you, I'll disciple you, um, you would literally copy everything that rabbi did. You would follow them. Matter of fact, uh, you would follow so closely, there was a term that was used, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
because you'd be following right behind his heels and the dust would kick up and you'd be covered in the dust of the rabbi. That's how intense they were of following the rabbi. I guess that's the greatest picture I can give you of what it means to be a disciple, to follow the one uh, you're trying to learn from. If after you had learned all this stuff and the rabbi would get to the place where he'd say, I don't think you have what it takes, um, he would often say, I think you should go back and apply your trade. Go back to your village, take the family business, and go apply your trade. In other words, you're cut. <laughs> you don't have it. And um, <clears throat> so I, I think in that perspective, to know that the disciples, most of them had either considered, been in the process, and been rejected, maybe, and now we're uh, faced with the, the calling of Jesus. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 4. Um, verse 18 says, while Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. Now, that phrase, because they were fishermen, is not just to describe that's what fishermen do, but because that's who they were. That's where their identity was wrapped up. They were fishermen, most likely because it was a family business or because they had started down this path and been rejected, and now they were fishermen, and Jesus says, come follow me, and then he changes, he says, I will make you fishers of people or of men. So at once they left their nets and followed him. It was significant. They had that life-changing awareness of God, that moment where God said, I want you to follow me, and they didn't just say, oh, cool, that sounds more fun than what I'm doing now, you know, I'm fishing. Um, it was like, this is the, the opportunity of what God has for them. And they, they immediately left what they were doing. A couple verses later, it says, going on from there, he, Jesus saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat, and they were with their father, Zebedee, repairing the nets. And when he called them, they immediately left the boat with their father and followed him. <coughs> um, Come follow me. That's the word. That's that life-changing awareness of God. Those moments where God says to you, I have something for you. This morning, if I can help you, I want you to understand that process and maybe have a different perspective of discipleship that I can add to what you already have. Discipleship, the second stage of inspiration, is a commitment to the process of learning what God has for you. Um, and if we look at Peter as an example, uh, we'll just kind of follow his. I think Peter has some great reasons to follow. One is he's usually the first to speak up, sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly, and he's also the first one to act. And so there's a lot of times that we see his authentic self um, from both good and bad side. And so we can kind of look at some of his things and learn from him. Um, <clears throat> the story I want to share with you is in, in, in Matthew chapter 14. Um, in Matthew chapter 14, there's this, this situation where Jesus had just um, fed the 5,000. If you recall the Bible story, maybe growing up or whatever you heard, where um, he was out um, teaching and healing and loving the people and the disciples are like, hey, these people are really hungry and there's no place to eat, you know. Uh, I think the restaurants had closed or whatever. And uh, Jesus took five fish and loaves of bread and, and he fed thousands of people. And afterwards, um, the, 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 it kept going on and Jesus finally sent the disciples on a boat to cross the lake and he sent the people home. And the Bible says he went up in a mountain to pray. He was like getting alone. And about evening time, he says that the disciples were um, their boat was facing extreme winds and waves, and they were stuck in the middle of the, the lake. Um, but then it wasn't until, it says, about dawn that Jesus walked out on the water. Remember, Jesus came to them while they were struggling. 
And I think it's so interesting, you know, that song Waymaker, and you think about it. Um, Jesus knew they were there in the ways from the time he sent them off, but about midnight, and he didn't go out there till dawn. It's not because he was too busy, and it wasn't because he forgot them. It was because he knew they could, they could, they could make it through that. And I think sometimes we wish God would just step in and, and relieve us. It's interesting because as Jesus was walking on the water towards them in the middle of the storm, the disciples began to panic. They kind of freaked out. They didn't know who it was, and, and they were afraid. And, and, and the first words that Jesus says to them is, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. I don't think he was speaking just to the moment. He wasn't just saying, hey, just right now because of the waves, don't be afraid. Stop living in fear is what I think he's saying. Something bigger because he knows what was inside them that they were struggling with. Um, Peter speaks up when he sees it's Jesus, and he says, stop being afraid. He says, hey, Lord, if it's you, can you, have, can, I, can you call me out to follow you? And Jesus uses those same words, basically, come follow me, as if uh, in the same words as when he was called, come follow me. And so Peter literally steps out on the water, and he's walking towards Jesus on the water, above the water. It's the way you're supposed to, right? And of course, if you know the story at all, Peter begins to sink and panic, and he yells and screams, Lord, save me, right? And the response that Jesus has is so amazing, but I think sometimes we catch it from the wrong perspective. Look at this. Verse 31, he says, As Jesus reached out his hand, he caught him, and he asked him, Why do you have so little faith? Why do you doubt? Now, here's what I want you to consider. Peter had stepped out of the boat to walk on the water towards Jesus. Who did, Jesus, who did Peter doubt? He didn't doubt Jesus. He stepped out on the water, trust in Jesus. He doubted himself. The, the reason Jesus asked him, why do you have so little faith? He wasn't saying, why don't you trust me? Peter trusted Jesus. Jesus wasn't sinking. Peter was. He says, why do you have so little faith in yourself, Peter? Why do you not trust yourself? Why do you doubt who you are? Let me tell you, when you make that decision, you make that life-changing moment where you connect with God, and then, um, as a pastor, I can tell you that the, the, the biggest fear I always had was people would tell me, oh, Pastor, God's doing this great thing. And I'm like, yay. And then they wouldn't show up the next week because panic set in, because they were afraid, because the waves were kicking their butt, and they were starting to get fearful. They couldn't do this. Why did I say I could do this? That wasn't Jesus. It was too much coffee or a donut. I don't know what it was. And we make every excuse. And people would literally quit going to church after those great moments. And I think that's what, that's what Peter was doing. He was like, I'm out. I can't do this. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. And I'm speaking to you today. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt yourself. Because God, who has called you, is going to finish what he's called you to do. Um, John 15, 16, Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And later he went on to say that you will be, you'll be able to do greater things than even the disciples and himself did on earth. Jesus has chosen you, every one of you. If you're here today and you're pursuing God, he says, I want you. I want you to, to, to experience what I have for you. The process of discipleship requires us to understand who we are and who we're not before we can fully understand who God is. That might be a different concept. I think a lot of times we spend so much time trying to learn about who God is that we never figure out who we are and where our struggles are. Fourth century, Augustine prayed, may I know you and may I know myself. 
I so appreciate having a pastor, Danny, who is committed to the process of emotional health and spiritual health together. Someone who says, hey, I'm seeking to know who I am and where my struggles are and where my strengths are and to use them as I learn to know more about God. I think one of the reasons in, in, in my experience that sometimes you see that pastors fall along the way or people who once were serving God fall, fall along the way is because we spend so much time learning more and more about God, but not enough about ourselves. What, what struggles we really have and where they come from and why we um, uh, are struggling and why we end up sinking. Um, another example with Peter um, in the book of Luke, Peter was fishing, and it says he was fishing all night, and he really wasn't catching anything, and, and um, Jesus was along the shore. And Jesus yells out, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, I don't know about you, but you know those times in your life when you're doing what you do, like your trade, your family trade, or your career, your vocation, and somebody else who doesn't do what you do comes and tells you how you should do it, <laughs> you know, and you want to tell them what they should do, right? Not necessarily the same thing. Now, I don't know where Peter was at on this, but maybe because he'd been fishing all night, he's like, I don't really care, I'll try anything. He says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And I'm sure he's like, okay, you mean six feet away? Okay, sure, thanks, Jesus. So he does it in obedience, maybe arrogantly or whatever. And when he does it, there's so many fish that his boat begins to list. And then he calls for help, and all the other boats, it says, came to um, help bring the fish in, and their boats began to sink because the abundance of fish that God blessed them with. And what an amazing story, but what's most unique about the story is once again Peter's response. When this happens, Peter gets down on his knees and he says, leave me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Wait a minute. <laughs> you were just blessed by God. He said, cast your nets here. You experienced the power of God, this life-changing awareness of God, and yet now you say, leave me because I'm a sinful man. I think what we see here, he continues, he says, stop being afraid. Once again, when Peter experiences Jesus' power and his calling and his movement in his life, he begins to see his weaknesses, his fears, his failures, his struggles, and he wants to distance himself from God. Our, I think our tendency when we don't do enough inward work is we push away from God when he calls us, when he's doing great things in our life. At those moments when we see such good things, we run away. I think uh, psychologist and author, kind of wisdom teacher, David Benner, he writes uh, many different books, but I think he nails it here, and he says this, Christian spirituality has a great deal to do with the self, not just with God. The goal of the spiritual journey is the transformation of self. This requires knowing both ourself and God. Both are necessary if we're to discover our true identity as those who are in Christ, because the self is where we meet God. Both are also necessary if we're to live out the uniqueness of our vocation. It's not either or, it's both and. To know yourself and to know God. I think discipleship, this process, this circle of discipleship, is when we begin to learn about yourself as you learn about God. And what are your fears? What are the things that stop you? Um, and how can we learn both without being sidetracked or, or, or run away? Um, <clears throat> Another moment in Peter's life, there's so many great ones, but there's this uh, moment where he is, um, Jesus is kind of having a catch up. He sits down with the disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they're kind of giving different answers. Some people think you're Elijah the prophet or 
um, different ones, and Moses, and, and, uh, and so after he asks them that, he, he personalizes the question, and it becomes real. He says, who do you say that I am? Now, I don't think this is the teacher wondering how much Bible knowledge the students have. He's wondering where's their heart. And this is why I love Peter, because his response was, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I mean, if in our world we could hear the bells going off, ding, 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 winner, we got it, he got the answer right. Maybe for the first time, Peter said the right thing at the right time. And Jesus responded with the fact, he says, Peter, that's amazing, you are the rock, I'm going to build my congregation on you and on this truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You got it right because you were speaking the words of God, not your own. See, earlier we were hearing from Peter when he says, leave me because I'm just a sinner. That wasn't God speaking to him. That was Peter's fears, Peter's trauma, Peter's uh, challenge in his life that he brought into this relationship that was speaking why God should leave him. Now he is speaking the words of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And after that moment, that, that perfect moment where Peter gets it, Jesus thinks, okay, I'm going to share even more. He says, listen, because the disciples didn't quite get what was about to happen. He says, I'm about to be crucified. They're going to come. They're going to beat me. They're going to, they're going to crucify me, and I will die, but I will rise again. And Peter's response now goes back to his weakness. He says, that can't be, Lord. He pulls him aside says, we need to stop that. That's not a good plan. <laughs> and once again, Jesus softly turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Okay, <laughs> that was his words, not mine. Um, <clears throat> and this is what he said. He went on to explain it. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but now you're thinking human thoughts. See how it is once again? As Peter learns more about God, he needs to learn more about himself. That, hey, our tendency is to go back to what we know and not trust God in every piece of it. When Peter trusted God, he spoke the words of God, and now he's speaking his own words. Um, but this is the important part. Right after that, Jesus told the disciples, he, he said this, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me continuously. Pick up your cross and follow me continuously. Now, Jesus wasn't saying you have to be crucified. And he's not telling you and I that we need to follow, pick up Jesus' cross. He says, pick up your cross and follow me continuously. Your cross is not my cross. And my cross is not yours. I think the cross that we carry is the pains that we carry, the hurts that we carry, the trauma that we carry, the rejection that we carry, the fears that we carry, the loss that we carry. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Continuously bring that with you. As you dig into who you are, Jesus will teach you who uh, your real power is and how much confidence he has. He has chosen you. He will give you the power to overcome everything we go through. He goes on to say, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever's willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Can I tell you? It's the most vulnerable thing we can do is to dig into who we are and who we're not and to be honest with ourselves and learn to be honest with others to say, hey, I don't have it all together. I need to find out why I keep going back to my thoughts and not God's thoughts. Why I keep allowing fear to stop me from being who God wants me to be and I keep giving up on what God's called. You know, uh, about four years ago, my wife and I were just about to get married and we were having this conversation. I had, 
I'd pre- I left recently a church that I'd pastored for 11 years, a church that I loved, and I just felt like I was in my place. And, and, um, and <clears throat> when, we, when we walked away from that, it was like, okay, I know we're doing the right thing, but for some reason I was lost. I felt lost in who I was, like maybe my calling wasn't real. And, and we were having this conversation, and my wife said, you know, Kelly, you've been, you, you spent your whole life investing in other people. You've invested in your ministry, you've invested in your children, you've invested in so many other things. Why don't you take some time off and just invest in you? And I thought about that, and, and I felt like God was really leading me in this whole idea of emotional health, and, and that maybe the time was to, to dig in deeper. And, and I began to start counseling, and, and uh, I started seeing the same therapist that, that uh, uh, Danny does, and that's where we kind of got to know each other, was there, and meeting with Byron, and, and started meeting every week for almost four years now. I've been meeting every week, working through who I am and uncovering layer by layer some of the traumas that have kept me from living and being the person I really want to be because of the person that is affected by these things. And as I made uh, these things, uh, become aware of some of these things, it began to change me, began to free me, and it's been so powerful. And so my wife recently, uh, in the last few months, said, I'm going to start doing that also. And so now she's going to a weekly therapist and working through her things. And I was telling Danny this, I'm like, yeah, so I'm going, my wife's going. He's like, you both are going to weekly counseling? I'm like, yeah. I said, we're actually going to marriage counseling too about once or twice a month. He's like, you guys are messed up. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. <laughs> and it's not because we're messed up. It's the opposite. For the first time, we're, we're investing in ourselves. Because as I can learn more about me, the more I can understand about God. It becomes clearer. Things I never understood. I couldn't get up and teach this uh, four years ago. But now I can tell you that as you learn more about yourself, and work through the things that affect you, it frees you up to see God in an amazing way you've never considered. In your marriage, in all these things, it allows you to see things that you had never considered before. So, I want to close with a quote, and then uh, Thomas Merton said this. He said, there's only one problem in which all my existence, my peace and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I find myself, and I find my true self, I will find him. Now, I could use several more examples of Peter's life, because there's some good ones out there, but I know that today is the NFL Division Championship game, and so (laughs) we should shut it down. But before we do, I want to close with one more truth, and and we'll just close with this, because, you know, one of the things I value so much about Kesed is this idea, it says, uh, at Kesed, it says, we are a community that believes we are better together than we are apart. I think you believe that too. It's why you're here, right? Because you could have stayed home and watched it online or, or you know, any other church in the, in the United States online. But we're here because we want to be part of a community. And I really believe one of the most important things we can learn about discipleship is it happens in community, together. And so it's awesome to be a part of a church where you don't also have to be here every Sunday because sometimes we miss, sometimes we want to go play or, or uh, we're sick or whatever, we're not here. But let me encourage you, if you're serious about this life-changing awareness of God and pursuing discipleship and learning about yourself and learning about God, I know how much Kesed puts into their series, and I wasn't told to say this, this is out of my heart. And coming three weeks and then missing the fourth week is, is really a big miss. So if you're not here, enjoy the time off, but watch it online or listen to the podcast. There's so many other ways you can catch up. If you want to be a part of a community, together, we're better together than we are apart, then then catch it online or or follow up. Also, the uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality 
class. There's still some room in that. Starts next week. Take that card next to you, the Hello Kessler card, and even if you already filled one out, fill out another, and sign up or go back there and sign up out in the lobby because become a part of, of things that are going to help you to learn more about yourself and more about God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for a church where we can come together and, and literally um, learn so much more together than we can apart, Lord. I pray you'd help us to, to, to work through the things that affect us. Lord, like Peter, we are afraid. The fears we have, the failures we've experienced in the past that we've allowed to define ourselves, the doubt we have in whether we're the right ones or whether we can do such anything for you, God, and all these things that distract us from that calling, that moment, that life-changing awareness of you and what you have for us. God, help us to take the next step in our faith to understand ourselves and to know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen.